Welcome to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Greenwood, Mississippi. We are a community of Christians that exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ and influence the Delta for the glory of God. More information about Westminster can be found at www.wpcgreenwood.org. Luke chapter 9, verses 1 through 9. Uh, I want to begin our time this morning uh, with a story that Kent Hughes shared uh, that came out of the Pacific front of World War II. Um, a sailor was on board a United States submarine and when he was suddenly stricken with acute appendicitis. Uh, it was you know, such that an operation was the only thing that could save his life. But the problem was that in this situation, the nearest surgeon was 1,000 miles away and on top of the sea, not deep down in the sea. Um, so there was a problem. Well, the sailor's friend, uh, the pharmacist's mate, uh, Weller Lipes, watched his buddy's temperature climb up to 106 degrees. Uh, things weren't looking good. And with no surgeon on the submarine, Lipes said to his suffering buddy, he's like, look, I I've never performed a surgery, um, but I've watched doctors do this operation, and I, I think I can do it. What do you say? And in desperation, the sailor said, I mean, what would you say? Go for it. I mean, you have to, right? So in the wardroom of this uh, submarine, the sailor was stretched out on a table beneath a floodlight. I don't know if y'all have been down to Mobile and, and you know, toured the battleship and the little submarine they've got there. It's, it's tight, tight quarters. Um, the maid and assisting officers dressed in surgical gowns, that is, reverse pajama tops turned inside out. They masked their faces with gauze, and the crew stood by the diving planes to keep the ship as level as possible during the operation. And the cook boiled water for sterilization. A tea strainer was used as a cone for the anesthetic. A broken-handled scalpel was the operating instrument. <laughs> Alcohol was drained from the torpedoes as an antiseptic, and bent tablespoons were used to keep the muscles open. And so with that, uh, Wheeler began. After cutting very inexpertly through layers of muscle into the sailor's abdomen, it took, it took um, Wheeler Lipes 20 minutes even to find the appendix. <laughs> Things were tense, uh, but two and a half hours later, the last stitch was sewn just as the last drop of, of um, ether gave out. And 13 days later, that sailor was back on the job. And, and now, obviously, that was, that was heralded as this amazing accomplishment. I mean, a, a huge accomplishment, one far greater than any surgery that, you know, the top surgeons at Johns Hopkins had performed or even... Uh, some of the surgeries that our physicians here at the Greenwood LaFleur Hospital have ever done. And not because it was a better surgery, per se. Uh, goodness knows, I mean, it was close to a hack job. Um, but because it was done by an unskilled shipmate in a makeshift surgery room without the proper tools. All right, well, this story... It helps make sense of this wild promise that we find Jesus saying in John 14. Um, in John 14, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. And I don't know about you, but that passage has always bothered me a, a little bit. Because you read it like, greater works than Jesus. Like, I thought Jesus was the greatest. Um, Okay, but it's like that story 
Jesus is saying that the apostles and that the church and then now that Christians today uh, can do greater works than Jesus himself, not because they are greater works, <laughs> but because of who we are. It's like in perspective to who we are. Uh, it's kind of like that kid on your rec baseball team, if you, those of you who remember rec baseball days, who strikes out like every single time. But that one day he connected and hit a home run. And, you know, the team, the parents, like, we lose our minds over that one kid hitting a home run. Yet the home run hitter on the team who always hits home runs, we're like, yeah, big deal. You know, you did it again. It's, it's not because it was more impressive. It's because who did it <laughs> that made it greater. So we are frail, imperfect, sinful human instruments uh, who are empowered by the Holy Spirit so much so that any good that we do for the kingdom becomes a work of God's amazing grace. All right. Well, in our passage this morning, Jesus, he's closing out his time, his ministry in Galilee. Uh, but before he sets his face towards Jerusalem, he graciously gives Galilee one more pass through his disciples. Jesus commissions them and then sends them out in his name as a, a dress rehearsal, so to speak, kind of as, as an internship of that day that he promised us in John 14 of what would happen. And in so doing, Jesus reminds us that if we have been saved by him, uh, then we've also been sent by him. Uh, and so with that, let's dive into God's inspired and good word to us. Luke 9, 1 through 9. And Jesus called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal and he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bread, nor bag, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed, and they went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. And Herod said, Well, John, I'll be headed, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And Herod sought to see Jesus. This is God's word. You know, this is a really interesting passage because uh, Jesus very clear instructions to all of his people, to all of his people, and yet some of what he said was only applicable to his disciples that he was literally speaking to in the moment. Um, so we'll have to parse that out as we go. But the first thing he teaches really is for all of us. The first thing he teaches is for all of us, and that is first the, the mission. Jesus, even you, even you, to a mission. You know, Jesus reminds us that, we, that in him we have a purpose bigger than just living our best life now and hopefully saving up enough retirement so that we can live our best life in retirement. Um, that we have a purpose greater than ourselves. That, that those who have been saved by Jesus know that what Jesus came to do for sinners like you, like me, is way too amazing for us to hoard up. 
It's too good to stay in our carefully curated holy huddles in our local churches even. It's too good. It's so good it must be shared. And so we see here that Jesus gathers his people and he gives them and he gives us power and authority and more on that in just a second of what that means. And then Jesus sends us out as his kingdom representatives. You know, I've heard of churches, y'all probably seen this, churches putting signs at the exits uh, to their door, their, well, yeah, exits of the church. A little, little signs that say, you are now entering the mission field. Um, and there are probably some churches you wish you had, you are in the mission field right now too. Um, you're entering the mission field. And what's Mr. Just because you may not be a literal missionary uh, doesn't mean that you are not called to a mission, okay? So you are called to a mission. Um, so back to the power. Jesus called his disciples, and then he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. Okay, uh, power here in, in this passage, power means ability. Uh, power means uh, capacity to do something. And then authority means that you have the right to use that power. Like you have the right to use your ability. Um, like the brains that gave us the Chick-fil-A drive through experience probably have the power, the ability to, uh, to make our DMV run like a dream, right? They, they have that ability, but they don't have the authority to do it, right? So you got to have both power and authority if you want to get anything done. What Jesus is saying is more akin to, for those of you who drive, um, do you remember the day you passed your driver's test? And maybe this is a man thing. I'm not sure. Um, because, man, I, like, I'd driven plenty of times before. I mean, I've been driving on the farm since I was, like, 12, you know. Uh, I had the ability to drive, but I didn't have the authority uh, to drive. And, uh, but that day, sitting in the car without my parents, uh, turning on the ignition, ignition, and I remember being overcome with a thrill of freedom because not only could I drive, but now I had the right to drive. Well, like that, but just multiply it times infinity, right? Uh, Jesus gave his disciples the power and authority to cast out demons and to cure diseases, which gives us a glimpse at another reality that um, throughout the Bible we see Jesus is the one with all the power, right? then any authority that you have on this earth is simply on loan from the one who has all power and authority. So even that is a, is a reason to give thanks and praise to him. Well, God, God often used miracles when the gospels first went out to confirm the truth of his word. They would give these miracles to point to the reality that the kingdom of God really has come. And here's the proof. Here's some of the things that are going on. And so the specific power to cast out demons and to cure diseases was, was only given to the apostles here. And now that doesn't mean, of course, that God is God, right? God can do what he wants to do. Uh, he certainly can and has healed people in miraculous ways. But just know, and this is hopefully a huge, huge takeaway, just know that throughout history, whenever and wherever the church was established, the church itself... Not signs and wonders, but the church itself is the confirmation of the gospel. You know, not, not the building, but the gathering of people who have been saved by Jesus. That is confirmation of the gospel.
Now, with that said, that doesn't mean that we don't have power and authority today. Jesus has still given us the authority, the, the right to share the gospel. Like we have the right to say, on behalf of our king, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Like you have that right. You have the right to look to a believer and say, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then also in the Holy Spirit, we have power. The power of the gospel, which Paul tells us is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So, Jesus um, gathers, he equips or empowers, and then he sends out his people on a mission. And so, um, like, am I just talking about like a fantasy novel here? Like, are you on mission? Are you on mission today? Like, where you live, where you work, are, are you on mission uh, well, that begs the question and brings us to the next point. <laughs> okay, well, how? I mean, what, what are the methods to the mission? Well, Jesus tells us, at least in this situation, verse 2, and Jesus sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. In other words, the mission is one of word and, and deed. It's a, a double mission. Um, it, it's, it's telling others of the gospel, but then it's also showing others the gospel, you know, grace and restoration in action. You know, it's interesting that Luke emphasizes repentance a lot through his gospel. Um, and, and that's no doubt something that the disciples did as they went out. They called people to repentance. But here, Luke seems to have a, a, a more positive angle on the gospel, that it is focused on the good news of the kingdom of God, that people just went out and they said, look, it, Jesus it is about Jesus. Just come to Jesus. Um, it, it wasn't about Jewish nationalism. Uh, they didn't preach five ways to be a better fill in the blank. It is God is king, which means wherever he is, his kingdom is. It means that God is sovereignly ruling and reigning in the hearts of his people. And it really, it's what you've always longed for deep down. You know, it's, it's, it's how God created things to flourish best. And in Jesus, you are invited to come into the kingdom, to live life under this gracious, sovereign king. And that's really good news. And so their teaching was very specific. You know, we, that, that, that line, all roads lead to Rome, may be the case, but all roads do not lead to the kingdom of God. And so their preaching was it, it, very explicit. It was Jesus or bust. Very explicit. But they put God's healing grace on display everywhere. You know, like the, the church uh, isn't necessarily called to run a clothing closet, right? And, and the church isn't necessarily called to do backpack drives because we think that we can serve better than everybody else. Um, you know, look, government groups and nonprofits, they can, they can definitely handle those sorts of things. But, but ministering in word and in deed... And Presbyterians are really bad about, we're, we're good on the word part, right? Like, we're happy if it's only word. But word and indeed means we do sometimes serve in physical ways to give our graceless world a window, a, a, just a glimpse of the beautiful reality of the kingdom of God. Okay, And so all those signs and wonder, wonders that the, the disciples were doing they pointed back to Jesus. And so the mission is exclusive teaching. 
with very inclusive actions. It is Jesus alone saves, but that message is to everybody. Come, repent, and believe. Uh, which then brings us to the third point, um, the manner in which Jesus sent his disciples. The manner. You know, Jesus told his disciples <laughs> uh, the opposite of how my family packs for trips. Um, Jesus said, or like us, like, you know, we're bringing like weighted blankets and uh, heating pads and Annie's wondering if we can fit the, our coffee maker like in the luggage. Um, some of y'all may remember Coy Detmer. Y'all remember Coy Detmer? Quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles, late 90s, early 2000s. I think he only started one year, but he was kind of a career backup. Um, well, it's been said that Coy Detmer only wore one set of clothes on road games for the entire year. Like, like he carried no luggage when, when he left town. Uh, he would just get on that plane. Well, he, he, as light as he traveled, he, he would take a toothbrush and stick it in his back pocket before he got on the plane. Um, Okay, the apostles here, the disciples here, they traveled even lighter. Jesus said, look, don't take anything. No walking stick, no backpack, no extra clothes, no money. On the way out of town, don't even stop at Taco Bell to get a few chalupas. Not, e not even a toothbrush, Coy Detmer. Just sandals and the clothes that you're wearing. Imagine that. And you're like, we, we don't know why Jesus said this on this occasion, uh, and so we're getting into the realm of speculation just a little bit. But, but one, um, could it be that Jesus knows how distracting uh, our stuff can be? That, that he, he knows our propensity to hide behind our stuff and to seek comfort or all of our comfort in our stuff? Um, could it be that he didn't want all their stuff getting in the way and slowing them down? You know, Jesus definitely wanted his disciples to, to know that they could trust him uh, to provide for them. But then two, it, it could be that Jesus wanted them and all of us to see just how little we actually need to do meaningful ministry in his name. It's like, look, don't let, let your lack of resources stop you. Because the reality is what we all, what you have on your person right this second is, is way more than the disciples had when Jesus first sent them out. So verse 4, Jesus continued, he said, And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. All right, so uh, let's pretend that we're going on a mission trip, right? And you have worked so hard for like one, let's say two weeks, you've worked so hard. Like how tempting would it be just to like, can we just like go to a resort somewhere? Can we just go have a little R&R? A little um, even when you go on, you know, when we go on mission trips, it's very tempting to really kind of just want to, we, we serve, yes, but we want to kind of stay by ourselves in a hotel, right? Or an Airbnb. Uh, one, because we could get a breather, but two, if we were honest, we don't want to have to actually be human around people. You, you know how hard it is to be human and to be real around people? Especially if you're a missionary and like, you're like, you gotta, you gotta be buttoned up, right? And, um, but Jesus says, no, look, I want you to go into town. I want you to stay with people. I want you to hear their stories. And I want you to share your stories. And be honest. And live with their pets. And live with their kids. And live with their cooking. And live with their quirks. And, and you let them see you live out the gospel message in front of them. I mean, talk about organic ministry, right? So Jesus said, don't go condo hopping. Because you know this is what we would do. 
um, or at least them, they would do. Don't go condo hopping until you find the one with the stock fridge and the hot tub out back. Um, no, no, just get to know and be known. Okay, now, with, with that said, as, as we mentioned at the beginning, uh, this is a passage where we have to be careful to read it in the context of the rest of Scripture because it would be very easy to read this passage and just do this blanket application to all missions and be like, look, no, why are you even here raising support? Like, just, just go and trust God. Don't take any supplies. Don't ask for any money. Just go. And you may have heard of the missionary Bruce Olson. Um, so Bruce became a Christian as a teenager. And at the age of 19, he uh, became uh, convinced or had this God, that, that, that God was giving him this overwhelming call to go to South America and to share his faith with unreached tribes down there. Well, people thought he was, he was crazy. Uh, no mission agency would touch him. No mission agency would send him. His own church wouldn't even send him. Um, but thinking of verses like this, oh, Bruce Olson, he just up and went by himself. I'm just going to leave. And though the Lord did, over time, bless his ministry down there, uh, it was far from easy. You know, he wrote a book called Bruchko, uh, detailing some of the miseries, the, the highs and lows of his time down there. But in the rainforests, the rainforest of Columbia, he said at times he so lacked for resources that he almost died of starvation. In fact, at one point, uh, things got so bad that a tapeworm inside of his stomach got apparently so hungry that the tapeworm started crawling out of his stomach up its throat trying to get out. I mean, he, he was so starved that a, a, a tapeworm didn't have anything to eat. Well, you know, when people take this passage and, and pry it out of its context, it's not good. Because this was Jesus' specific instructions to his apostles at this specific moment. Knowing that this was a very short-term mission trip. And if we would just keep reading on, we would find that Jesus was going to send them out again. Whatever you got, you better take it with you. Because things are about to get rough. Um, he sends them out with resources. Still, um, so, yes, we don't need to, lack, to let our lack of resources stop us from the mission. And yet, this, this passage is a particular call to his apostles not to be broadly applied to the rest of the church. Okay. Well, as amazing as their message and miracles were, Jesus also knew that even still, there were going to be people who would reject them. And so Jesus gave them very specific instructions if that ever happened. What do you do if someone rejects you, just completely rejects the gospel? And, and notice, it, it wasn't, we'll just change the teaching. We'll just water the teaching down until, they all, until we all like it. Um, no. He said, when it, it, well, he says sometimes you just have to part ways. So he says, when you leave town, shake the dust off, and really as a public rebuke against them. So scholar Leon Morris said, well, kind of what's up with this? Uh, Leon Morris said that this was very common in the ancient world, that if Jews were to travel off and, you know, they were, they were crossing into Jewish lands, they would shake the dust off their feet, their cloak, uh, so as to say they're getting the, the pagan off of them. And so with that in mind, Jesus is saying even as you are rejected and when you're walking out of town, 
turn and give them one last sign, you know, one last parting reminder that they are outside the kingdom of God and, and they, need a, they need a Savior. And so do public rebuke to them. All right, so uh, if you've ever driven to Tuscaloosa, uh, you, have, you have driven through this town called Reform, Alabama. You've likely gotten a ticket in Reform, Alabama, right? Um, well, as tradition has it, and according to Wikipedia, which, you know, Wikipedia is always right, um, according to tradition, the town of Reform is called that because back in settlement days, when, you know, remember when the preachers would, they were called circuit riders, and they would jump on a horse, and they would ride from settlement to settlement, and they would preach kind of from the horse. So back in those days, the locals of Reform were so crazy, like so wicked, that they chased the preacher out of town. Okay? They didn't want a preacher here. And, and as the preacher was riding away, he screamed out, Reform! Like, Y'all need to reform! Well, um, see, I grew up in that part of the world, so I still know some crazy people who still live in reform. But apparently, I mean, some people heeded that rebuke, at least enough that they like, you know, we need to think about this. And so they named the town that. Well, in the same way, shaking the dust uh, wasn't just, you know, we're, we're done with y'all. But shaking the dust was one last call to repent. It, it was one last call to enter the kingdom of God. And so what we see is like, you know, sometimes separating from sinners is the loving rebuke that they need. You know? Which then brings us to the result of the mission and how we'll close. Um, you know, in a day of celebrity pastors who seem to have their own brand, and in a day where like a pastor can't hardly even write a book with, until they've got so many thousand whatever followers on some social media pro, uh, platform, it's very easy to jump the shark and, and to think that the mission is about playing their game, and it's about becoming very popular in the eyes of other people. And while the while we forget that the work of the mission isn't advancing ourselves, that it has nothing to do with us, that we minister in the name of someone else who has sent us. It's that famous Nicholas Lugwood quote that says, preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. Like it's, it's just that simple. And, and we see that here with the disciples, that they didn't advance their own agenda, that they didn't turn every single sermon into their personal soapbox issue. No, even though they performed miracles, and things. When they left the towns, the town, the town people weren't talking about them, talking about the miracles, but they were talking about Jesus, the Savior and lover of their souls. That Jesus came to give sight to the blind, that Jesus came to set the captive free, and that's what we need. That Jesus came to give us peace with God, that Jesus came to bring you into the kingdom of God. So I want to ask you as we close, do you know that? Do you know that? Well, during this time, word spread. I mean, everybody's talking about Jesus. Word spread so that even Herod was asking the ultimate question. Who is this? Who is Jesus? Well, Westminster, how would you answer that question? Um, who is Jesus to you? Is Jesus your hero? Uh, is Jesus your Savior? Because, I mean, if not, if you don't know how to answer that or don't know, I mean, you really need to explore that. 
It's pretty important. But if He is your Savior, that means that your life matters for eternity. That, that means that you have been personally called and sent by the King. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you that you have called us to a mission. Um, forgive me, forgive us uh, for, man, for some reason we think this life's about us. Um, but Lord, we serve you in your name. Uh, Lord, thank you for just this reminder we have in Scripture that if we've been saved, we have been sent. And now, Father, as we come and we switch gears uh, to celebrate uh, communion, uh, we ask that you would draw us near through your Spirit. Um, Lord, that you accept us in Christ as we are, and yet you don't keep us as we are. Um, so, Lord, as we come to your table, we ask that, that these common everyday elements would be set us apart and used as a means of your grace to your people to build us up, to encourage us uh, in the gospel. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Hi, Richard Owens here. I just wanted to take a second to say thank you for listening to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church. Our prayer is that the Lord would use this message to encourage you in the gospel and that you would find Jesus to be more beautiful than you ever, ever imagined. If you'd like to find out more about who Jesus is or more about our church, I invite you to visit our website at wpcgreenwood.org. God bless.